Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Well, thank you for joining me again for another opportunity to have conversations that uplift, transform, heal. You know, that's really the purpose of The Love Code. It's a show to allow us to um, really tap into the greatest potential that we have, to open our hearts and to find the love that we're looking for within ourselves and the healing that results from making that connection. So as always, it's great to have you join me for another wonderful conversation that I have planned for you. And just before we jump in, I do want to remind everyone, if you'd like to get the archived shows from my podcast, And, by the way, I have a second podcast on Progressive Radio Network called What Women Must Know. Then all you need to do is like me at my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know. So I post both of the shows there. Or you can go to my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman. That's drcherylselman.com. And all those archive shows get sent to you every week along with all sorts of other great information that I'd like to share with my community. So I hope you'll be joining me and um, taking part in the uh, opportunity to just open our hearts and find the real healing that's from within. And really, the healing that's within and opening our hearts is what our conversation is all about today because I'm going to be visiting with Kim Morrison, who is here in Australia, and she is the author of her latest book called The Art of Self-Love. So we're going to be exploring the art of self-love, the key to healing on all levels, I believe. So let me just share a little bit about Kim. She is a five-time best-selling international award-winning author, creative director of 28 Essentials, aromatherapist, health and lifestyle educator, and a multitasking mom and wife. Kim is someone who shares her passion for health using essential oils for wellness and knows it is in the small daily rituals of self-care that accumulate into the powerful art of self-love. Kim set a world record as the youngest female to run 100 miles in less than 24 hours in 1989. The 64-year-old world record holder Cliff Young was her mentor at the time and to this day lives by his ethos that success is 90% mental and 10% physical. She has used her running story as a direct metaphor for life, riding the highs, hitting the walls, pushing through the pain barriers, crossing the line and never, ever giving up. And she is the author of the latest best-selling book, The Art of Self-Love. So it's a pleasure to welcome lovely Kim to the show today. Hello, Kim, and I'm so happy you're here with us today. (laughs) You're an amazing soul. It's an absolute privilege to be with you on your beautiful podcast. Thank you, sweetheart. (laughs) So it's great to have you here because we've known each other for the last several years, and I you know, it's always wonderful when we connect. We we kind of like ships in the night. <laughs> we pass quickly. Um, but it's always a pleasure to have time with you. You're such a delight. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was a couple of years ago when the art of self-love was just being completed. So here we are, and you have another beautiful book and doing so well with it. So congratulations, Kim, on all the hard work that it takes to create and birth this 
new project of yours. <laughs> it really is like birthing something, isn't it? It's such a... Everyone thinks, you know, let's write a book and then you sit down to do it and then you've got deadlines and then there's all this doubt and is it really that good and does people do people really want this message? And it's just, you know, you go through all the realms of questioning and self-doubt and fear and then realize that the magic really sits in the place of love, which is what I love with your topic as well because when we sit in a place of love, then we come with a really beautiful evolved state which means there is nothing but magic that can happen and however that unfolds we let go of expectation and we let go of what it should be or could be and we just trust and I honestly can say each book I've written if I once I get to that surrender point I'm so much better off and the words flow way better so uh, it, it, it was it was a huge huge undertaking but also a beautiful birthing experience once I held her in my hand it was like oh that wasn't so bad <laughs> <laughs> yes it's like birth you forget pain and you just feel <laughs> that amazing awe of what you've created mm. so Kim you know you have focused so much of your time building your essential oils uh, company and your education about essential oils so what led you to write a book about the art of self-love? I think I've been very blessed that all my life, even though I've had lots of challenges and there's been many ups and downs. And In fact, you probably notice yourself beautiful, but you just, everybody has a story. Everybody goes through challenges. Everybody has struggle. Um, I think I was blessed with a more glass-half-full kind of attitude and more of a um, rose-tinted glasses I've been told that I have on so I probably am someone who will always try and find the good but I do know that um, after having children I realized that you know you're only as happy a mother is only as happy as a saddest child and whilst my two children are amazing and they're incredible and all of those things that every mother would want to say I could see that both had their challenges um, as far as their big dreams and what they wanted to do but Jacob in particular, I've got a daughter, uh, they're now 23 and 21, but the daughter was doing okay, but she had a major number of stress fractures in her back and she, she was aspiring to be a professional dancer. And my son himself, Jacob, was um, he was really struggling more emotionally, just did not believe in himself and was going through a tough time. And I'm sure many of us, whether we're aunties, dads, grandparents, whatever, friends, when we see children struggling, you just want to wrap them in cotton wool and say it'll be okay. But no matter how much I tried to talk to him with non-judgment and support, he just really was going through tough times until one night my husband and I were lying in bed. He arrived. He was 16 years of age. His sister, Taylor, followed in behind him and he just sat there and just burst into tears and said, I hate my life. I don't want to be here anymore. And it was pretty hard, you know, to hear your beautiful son who you see so much potential and magic and love to say those words. And there's no irony. I, you know, for three years leading up to that, Cheryl, I had been studying why people struggle. Why do we have to go through tough times? We'd lost my sister-in-law to suicide after a psychotic episode. We'd lost all our money in a house deal that had gone wrong. My husband lost himself in a world of depression. We'd moved countries. Look, honestly, 
it was, I'm not saying my story is any worse or better than anyone else's, but it felt like this mosh pit tornado. And I really didn't know what to do. And so I got into action as to finding out because so many people um, seem to struggle or have challenges or get triggered by things, etc. So anyway, when he sat there on the edge of my bed, I just said to him, and I wanted to leap in and fix it for him, but I knew I couldn't. And I just said, look, darling, I've got no answers, but I have been studying why people struggle for the last three years. I have transcribed every guru I've met or know, and I've looked at everything, and I've come up with a six-step pathway because I just believe that you've fallen out of love with yourself right now. It's not that you hate your life or that your life's bad or anything at all. You're just going through a tough time. And if we can just acknowledge that you're going through a tough time, you know that the ebb and flow of life, the highs and lows, the light and dark, always keeps shining and, and evolving. So we will get through this moment by moment, breath by breath. Would you like me to show you the six-step process? And he just looked up at me, really broken, uh, and said yes. And so he sat there, all four, all four of us were there, and I drew the big love heart in the middle and wrote the word self-love. And then I drew a big arrow coming out the bottom of it saying self-sabotage and fear and then I said to him what are some of the emotions that you feel when you're not feeling great about yourself or tell me some of what you're feeling and he just went hate myself guilt anger frustration and I'm sure all of us could list a multitude of emotions and feelings that would all sit very nicely under the topic of fear or self-sabotage and then I just went through the six steps with him and at the end of it he just looked up at me and he said Mum, you've got to write a book. I've never heard it explained like this before. It's really good. And and I figured, Cheryl, if a 16-year-old boy got it, then surely the rest of the world will understand it too. I think that's so true. You know, for sure, teenage boys have such a hard time, and that's why there's such a high rate of suicide amongst young men. So that must have been such a revelation for him and also an affirmation for you to know that you were onto something here. Yeah. And I think for, like you just said, you know, we we get taught how to read. We get taught how to write. We get taught how to ride a bike. We, But I don't seem to think that any parent is given the Super, super Soul Survivor's Guide to self-love and mm. to kindness. And I don't think any child comes into the world, well, I actually think they do come into the world pure love, but they don't get the navigation handbook from parents that may have their own limiting beliefs and decisions and emotions that they've had to deal with on top of that maybe from a soul perspective and a, even a quantum physics level when we come in with generations of biology and, and, and um, trauma and experiences that when we actually evolve into this human world here and now, we have no idea or concept of of what it is we've come in with. And, and as a mother of two children, you know, I can say this with the same upbringing, same circumstances, same food, same things, my children are still very different. And that's how you know. And it's not just because they're a boy and a girl, but that's how you know that, we already come into this world preordained or pre-made in some respects. And I hope that doesn't sound too weird, but I just truly believe that we have a genetic and a quantum physical coding that comes in with us. So um, then we're taught and given lessons and opportunities, which is what you can see them after they've happened, of struggle or upset or trigger or pain or emotional um, hardship. 
and we are given these um, from a from a level of soul to challenge us to grow to evolve because we know that when the body mind and soul is stressed we grow and and when I did my research and was asking psychologists and doctors and medical experts and um, quantum physicists and and uh, NLP practitioners and hypnotists and all these different people it all came back to the fact that we are coded from an anthropological evolutionary standpoint to know that we have to look for the negative before we see the positive from a survival standpoint. So we know we have to be on alert for the saber-toothed tiger or to check that the cave was safe and, and that has still transitioned through each of us but where we would have been stimulated totally with a sympathetic dominance in that moment of fight and flight we also very quickly, easily adapted back into the parasympathetic of rest and digest once that flight, fight or flight was over. This day and age, we don't seem to move back into the rest and digest very easily, which is what creates all these negative emotions, but also the sense of overwhelm or the inability to cope or the feel or sense of loss or not being able to love or be loved. And that whole narrative that we're not good enough, I have yet to meet anyone that hasn't felt that or doesn't feel that at some point. But it's how do we work with that shadow side of us as well as the golden shadow side of us? How do we work with the two polarities? And so whilst I don't want to stand there and tell people you will never have problems again once you do more of this work, I think your problems just become better problems um, and they're more higher intelligent problems rather than scooping around in the emotional trauma and um, judgment and ego and all of those sorts of things we end up being able to step above it and become the observer of our life and then really notice how we behave or take information in or react to people or things and that's the beauty of personal growth and developing ourselves to being the best version of who we could possibly be. Well, isn't that the journey of our lives? And, you know, as you were talking about your son, that no matter how much you surround your children with love, they are souls who have chosen to come in with their list of objectives <laughs> of learning <laughs> and um, expanding their own consciousness. So, yes, we, we all have our challenges and we come in with. And, um, you know, that's that's really the journey here is being able to um, uh, do the healing work that's required to release us from the illusions and step into our truth. And, I mean, I, you know, I see that in my life. I mean, I went through so many years of struggle and um, sadness and depression and trying to understand myself. But that's the impetus because because of those feelings, you start searching and you start learning and you start the healing process. So it's, I guess, you know, being, you can't avoid those uh, emotions, but we need to learn to do is to transform them. And then you get to the place where you are not, you're not operating at the belief that you are your emotions. Uh, you know, for me, a, a, a profound moment came was when I realized I am having an emotion, I am not the emotion. Because I used to sink into depression and that feeling of not good enough. And it would overwhelm me earlier in my life. It would almost be paralyzing and, uh, you know, bring up so much anger and resentment. And 
you know, from what I was learning and studying, I had a moment where I actually recognized that that was an emotion I was experiencing and I could observe it rather than sink into it. And that was a transformational experience. I'd say that was almost like a spiritual breakthrough because from that time onwards, I was able to observe the emotion that was going on rather than be that emotion. And it was uh, a key to transforming it and transforming my life and not getting caught up in the depression that had been so much a part of my early experience. So, you know, it's it's a you know, powerful journey that we are all on and learning to have this mastery of the emotions that we have so we can transform them into greater acceptance and self-love. So, so having said that, can we go through those steps that you shared with your son and that became the basis of the book? Yes, of course. I think, I think the other thing to, to take note of here is that we each, um, we each have a perception and I liked what you said, you know, we can heal ourselves from the illusion of reality and, and the real question I ask myself is what is truth? What is reality? And the only thing I've come up with so far is that the sun will come up tomorrow. Everything else is up for debate. So depending on your emotions, your personality, your meta programs, your beliefs, your values, your experiences, your teachings, your parents, all of those things become what we call our filter system. So whatever happens outside of us, based on our filter system in that moment, will then determine what we perceive as reality, which then creates a physiology within ourselves, which creates an emotion, which then drives behavior. And you know this when, as a mum, if you're really exhausted and you're tired and maybe your husband or partner's not home from work yet and your kids are fighting and you're trying to get dinner on the table and you're actually at break point because work's pushing on you and you've got all of the stress, there's a, there's a point where you just break or snap and you'll storm down that hallway and you'll yell and scream and tell them to calm down and stop being this or whatever, and you might lose it. Well, I hope I'm not the only mum sharing that I've done this at times, <laughs> but you lose yourself. And then as opposed to a day where you've had a wonderful day, maybe you've got through all the work you wanted to do, you've had a slow-cooked meal going all day, so it's all organised, your kids, they're still having the same argument. But in the state that you're in, you walk down the hallway and you go, hey, 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 guys, what's happening? Come on. All right, you've got 30 seconds to say what happened. You've got 30 seconds. I didn't see it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we can work this out. Now, let's run a bath. Let's put some nice oils in. It's a completely different reality. But it was only the only difference was my filter system in that moment, which is why self-care and self regard for your own health and well-being is imperative and such a big part of self-love. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for saying that because it really is an illusion. Life is an illusion and it's only the meaning that we put into it. And I was trying so hard to tell my beautiful son that and my daughter was sitting there as well as I sat on the bed. But I just said to him after I drew that big love heart with the word self-love in the middle, there was the big black arrow coming out with fear and self-sabotage and all the emotions he described. And I said, well, the first step to get back what I, into what I call the self-love circle is self-awareness, as I mentioned. Awareness that 
you are going through a bad time. My daughter says, you know, you're just having a bad moment, not a bad life. And I really appreciate that as well because sometimes it feels like everything is bad or it's always this way or it's never right. And they're just such distorted generalizations when we're in the throes of pain. So self-awareness is number one. And then number two, I truly believe, um, I've mentioned it briefly, but self-care is the access way, the pathway to self-love. And so I said to Jacob, you know, and remember I was talking to a 16-year-old boy. I just said to him, so, you know, it's really important at times like this when you feel like life sucks or it's not great, that this is when people drink or take drugs or go and have one-night stands or they, um, they say things they regret or they eat disgustingly, they don't look after themselves. So to me, the next step is self-care where... I said to him, I, I want to encourage you that if you're up for this, I want you to have something green with every meal. Um, I need you to go down to the beach at least three or four times a week. We live right by it. And earth yourself. I want you every night when I come and kiss you goodnight to give me three things you're grateful for. I want you to um, make sure that when you put the oils in the bath or when I come in and put the oils in your bath to help your body after rugby training, that you just trust me that I'm choosing the right oils. So... You know, and we had homeopathics and I upped his um, things like beautiful supplements like Camu Camu and we just I got him some rescue remedy. And I, I just said, if you trust me, then this is taking care of you while you progress through this challenge that you're going through. And he just nodded and, and then I said, well, the next step after that, which I think is the most important of all the steps, is self-discipline. You have a great life without applying discipline. There's no way you would have become a doctor without discipline of training. There is no way this podcast would have evolved without the discipline of putting all the steps in place to make it happen. There is no way people lose weight on an eight-week program without discipline. So everything in life requires some form of discipline. And when I say that, I don't mean that aggressively. I just mean you know, to structure ourselves, to create neurochemical loops that bind uh, neurologically, physiologically into our bodies for the greater good. So to train ourselves to go for walks at least, you know, do something every day that moves your body. So he agreed with that one. But I said, and also with discipline comes the fact that the reason why you're about to get kicked out of school is because you're not being disciplined with your words and you're saying swear words and you're getting angry at teachers. So to practice the art of discipline and my advice to him in that moment and maybe this would work for anybody but anytime a teacher or anyone triggers you rather than reacting just say two words that's interesting and I said you can't say it with tone or facetiousness it's got it is interesting that someone else sees it differently to you it doesn't mean it's right or wrong it's just interesting and so he looked at me and said yeah I can do that and then I said, and the next step comes, so the first three steps of the doing, you have to almost do something to get yourself out of the hole. Um, it doesn't just happen with something like meditation. For most people, it's not that simple. You know, we have to have steps. But then we start, the more we have the discipline, we start being self-love. So we move into self-control. And self-control, as I explained to him, means that you're mindful of how you speak you're looking at how you observe the triggers. You're being more controlled around your emotional um, ability to contain um, anger or address anger with love rather than thinking it just needs to be dismissed. Like honoring yourself. Self-control is about honoring the way you speak and, and talk to other people and, 
how you choose to eat foods. You know, after you've done an eight-week program and you've been really strict or really clever about what you've eaten, and then day one of week nine, you go and face plant a whole lot of chocolate cakes and Mars bars, well, you've totally missed the point of what that eight-week protocol was, which was a stepping stone for the rest of your life. And so I said to him, this is just a challenge for you to learn from this, to create more control over yourself. Therefore, you move into the next step, which is self-respect. And I said, you know, and I asked them both, what do they think or who is someone that they think has a lot of self-respect? And it was fascinating. Whenever I speak to schools or young people, they seem to be able to nail it. But every time I speak in front of adults, no one can really answer this question straight off the bat. They you know, they'll say they're kind and I'll go, well, there's a lot of mean people who can be kind at times or there's a lot of people who rip people off that are kind. Is that showing self-respect, you know? And, and so I was looking at them both and then Taylor, my daughter, piped in and she just went, you know, I think self-respect is when you get up in the day and you actually, you make your bed or you, you create something that makes you feel like you've accomplished something. And then she said, and then you put on clothes to suit your mood for the day and you, you don't have to put makeup on, she said, but you might, you know, have a shower or do a body boost with oils or do something nice for yourself. And then she said, you know, self-respect to me, mum, is, you know, you don't gossip, you don't put other people down, you respect the planet, you don't put plastic everywhere, you take care with the food and you're honouring of organic and, and all these things. And I was just like looking at her, taking notes as she was saying it, because I think she nailed it. And she said it is about kindness to self, each other and the planet, and it's about um, being disciplined not to have judgment on everything and we all agreed that that was a beautiful description and there's a beautiful Maori word in New Zealand which is mana and mana is the God within, the power within, honouring and really treasuring the power within you is self-respect, it's having mana and then finally, the last step I said is then we move into self-acceptance. And when we have self-acceptance and we really get curious about what that means, it means we appreciate some days we're going to be a mum that may, you know, lose herself sometimes or isn't looking after herself and therefore there's a great um, anchor there in her moment to learn from that. Or um, self-acceptance is loving yourself warts and all knowing that some days you can feel great and other days maybe based on what you ate or didn't eat the day before you don't feel so great so that's this constant barometer and awareness of where you're at by asking yourself or noticing how you feel and I looked at him and I said and, and Jake when you accept yourself it also means that you don't have to impress others you don't have to say things to be the class clown or to get liked by others self-acceptance means that it's actually none of your business what anyone else thinks of you. Just do you. And I looked up at him and he just, that's when he looked at me and he said, Mum, I've, I've never had it explained so easily like that. You've, you've got to write a book. So, it, of course, within each of the steps, um, Cheryl, we, you know, I go a bit deeper into all the different levels of that, but ultimately that's the essence and we can fall out of that place at any time and then all of a sudden we get through a challenge and we come back to self-acceptance and then bang we get tapped whacked or mat trucked you know we get tapped with a headache or we get whacked with an accident or an illness or a disease and then we get a mat truck that could be the loss of someone or something or a relationship breakdown or a death in the family or something like that so you know we're constantly tapped whacked and and macked at different times in our life it's just then as we build up the resilience and become more of an observer and notice 
what we react and act upon and then you build up a, a beautiful repertoire of self-care tools like oils and herbs and homeopathics and beautiful food, movement rituals, meditation, maybe hypnosis, whatever it is that lights you up, all of it feeds in and then whack, you can have another thing that happens and you just get back into the circle. And as you go through that process, what I've learned is every challenge that comes along it actually expands your heart. It actually expands your ability to love yourself even more because you realize how infinitely beautiful you are at managing your stress. Even when you're not, you're still doing the best that you can in that moment. And if it's not your best, you have the ability to ask why and what can I do about it to do better next time so that we stop this harsh inner critic constantly abusing us or having this mental warfare that we're not loved or we're not good enough. And um, yeah, he seemed to really like it. And as I said, if a 16-year-old boy got it, then I figured I needed to write the book, sweetheart. And you did. And you know, you're offering us a great guidance on this journey of the self in, in this lifetime. You know, you're going through the different steps along the way, and uh, one of them I just want to talk about is the self-discipline one, because I have learned, and what I share and teach is, if we don't have the discipline, we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you, I mean, you're, you know, you you did this incredible achievement as a runner, which I am still amazed at. I didn't know that about you, Kim, that you ran a hundred miles in less than twenty hours. It's like God bless you, but uh, it's a terrifying thought to me. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, if we don't have in place the commitment to make the changes, that's what I call the discipline. The Take on whatever of the many possibilities, but be consistent, right? Be consistent in making the changes possible. It could be just the commitment to get out every morning and walk for 15 minutes. It it could be doing a five-minute breathing exercise. It could be writing the gratitude journal that you talked about at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter what you do it's just doing it consistently is so critical because as you said earlier it's kind of building a new neural net in our brain we're creating a whole new pathway of how we are firing our our brain cells and perceiving reality and it starts by just being committed to doing something to support ourselves every day well, what are your thoughts? It's interesting that? that you say that because in the book, I don't know if you've seen the book yet, but in the book, Under Self-Discipline, I've actually quoted you. So it's interesting that you go back to this one. But the, the chapter <laughs> starts with, I didn't you cannot that. achieve anything in life without discipline. No skill, art, craft, work or goal can be truly achieved without it. Dr. Cheryl Salmon. So... You are one of my mentors and someone that I've always um, really, truly loved listening to and following and having the privilege of meeting and playing with you, like, honestly. And when I read that, and I can't remember exactly where I took it from, it might have been from one of your podcasts, but I just knew. And so how gorgeous that you just said. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Self-discipline. <laughs> 
Well, I, and I, I guess I say that because that has been my experience, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that I had to learn in this journey of life and how to navigate it in a way that you can live it with the goal of your work of self-love. You know, this is this. This 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 is an art form, <laughs> and really we're learning right how to master this art form called life. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think the most beautiful thing of all is that when we realize that a lot of what happens, we actually think it happens to us, but in reality, what happens is an experience occurs. We have the opportunity to wither from it or grow from it. We have the opportunity to be the victim or the victor from that experience. And then we have the ability to actually choose what we do with that experience and make it either mean something great or mean that you've learnt something or expanded in some way. And I think if we could really truly appreciate that it, you know, from the ages of naught to seven is when a lot of that imprinting is happening. So that, you know, as a little girl or a little boy, you might have um, had a a father or a mother say something that maybe they were stressed in their world and they said something, you made it mean that, and then your reticular activation system gets onto alert, and now every time a male yells, be it a teacher, a boss, a driver, or a a coach, every time they yell, there's this, this physiological, biochemical reaction in the body that you make it now mean that you're not good enough or you're not loved. And then when our RAS system or when the reticular activation system is, is active, considering we can take, you know, we are being delivered 2 million bits of information every moment of every day, but we can actually only hold 136 bits of that information. Well, then you can see based on our upbringing, our values, our beliefs, our meta programs, our personality, all of those things will depend on which one 136 bits we're going to pick. And if you've grown up thinking you're not good enough because you made a certain situation mean that, even though it was not true, um, you made it mean that, you can see why then out of the 2 million bits, you're going to look for 136 bits that qualify that. So you might fail at something or your another relationship falls over or you can't seem to get back on the winning track or you're always losing money or you're never good or you can't lose weight or your hormones are just your problem or whatever it is. We end up creating an excuse or a story or we place meaning into something that was based on a belief that we created that wasn't even true between the ages of naught and seven. And I find that side of it fascinating because in my humble opinion, it then means if we learnt it and it wasn't true, it also means we can learn a new way of being or unlearn what we thought was true. And that's the power of discipline and being coached or listening to beautiful podcasts or reading or exploring and expanding and creating a consciousness that really does go beyond the realm of possibility, which is where meditation takes us where hypnosis can take us, timeline therapy, all of these things that take us out of the physical body, out of the conscious mind thinking, into the unconscious. And I have to say this to you, I had never run 24 hours in my life before I did that race. And I know that the way I went there was going into my unconscious. There was a lot of conscious moments where I was trying to get out of the race. I 
kept hurting myself. I was looking for every excuse. I couldn't stand it. And I'm running around a 400-meter track, and there's that voice in my head going, you're an idiot. What are you doing? This is so stupid. Who else does stupid, crazy things like this? And then at about 2 or 3 in the morning, the doctor puts me on the scales and says, sorry, you've lost nearly 7 kilos. I'm going to have to pull you out. And in that moment where I now got told I couldn't do something I wanted, this voice turned around inside my head and said, you can't tell me what to do. And then all of a sudden I wanted to stay in the race, which I found absolutely crazy. But he said I only could stay in the race if I listened to his advice and ate the things that I was told to do and drink the things I was told to drink because I at that moment was not making good decisions, which is why the power of coach, mentoring, therapy, or having guidance or people that you look up to can often be a really beautiful way to traverse our ways through challenging times so that you're not always going to make a great decision. When emotions are high, intelligence can be incredibly low and therefore we're not always going to make the best decisions in a crisis or when times are challenged or whatever. But I think you and I would both agree, Cheryl, that in hindsight, when all, if all of us stood here right now and looked back on our life, no matter how long or short, we know that every single thing we've overcome has led us to this point right here, right now. So maybe there is no imperfections. Maybe everything is imperfectly perfect because if it was meant to be different, it would have been. Um, and so I really think that sometimes that beautiful thing of acceptance and growth and learning and then applying the discipline to that is what gives us the ability to change if that's what we want as well. Yeah, so, you know, it's um, so fascinating to see the journey of life and the experiences that we all have. And I know that you have so many strategies in your book. Uh, Actually, two things I wanted to ask you. First of all, do you have a favorite inspiring story from someone who has read your book and followed through and made changes. I know you talk to so many people and you're out there sharing your wisdom. Do you have one story that comes to mind? Oh, there's a few. I just on the weekend I received an email from a lady who I don't know, but she had been given my book when it was first released um, two years ago. And she just said she she never went to read it. She she just didn't think it was for her. Um, so it sat there. And then through this whole, um, I guess, challenging year we've all been through on many different levels. So she's a corporate woman. She's someone who's, you know, very factual and matter-of-fact and logical and sequential and organized and, you know, very pragmatic um, left-brain way of thinking. Just this particular day, she was feeling a bit broken and she picked up the book and she said she didn't put it down for three days. And then she really wanted to meet me and um, we were at a function and the lady that had bought her the book came up to me and said, oh, this lady is here, she really wants to meet you that I bought the book for. So I got to meet her and she was so lovely, she's a single mum of three daughters and she just hugged me and got very teary and just said this book saved me I I didn't realize how much I was sitting in self-sabotage and then would use um, my energy of just soldier on and keep going and martyrdom to actually mask all the pain and then she said and then what freaked me out is the other day I was at the hairdressers 
and this woman next to me was just sobbing quietly and she goes, I've never been someone I would call empathic or someone that would reach out but just after reading your book I just I could see she was in a world of pain and I just touched her and and this complete stranger told me her story that you know and it's a sad story she'd lost her husband who was a pilot to suicide and then sadly her son took his life two days later and this is why oh it just really touches me because this woman was able to reach out and say to her you know, I care and I really feel and I've got a beautiful book I'd love you to read and and she passed the book on to this woman and I just, mm. I don't know, I'm, I'm, it's not to say that the pain will go or that that story that's so freaking tragic and then what this other woman had been through to get to that point, I'm not undermining any of the stories, situations or things that have occurred but sometimes when we're grappling at the meaning of life and why it's so freaking bad sometimes, it's just nice to know that maybe there's there's a one tip or one thing that will get you through another breath, another moment, rather than thinking suicide or or some there's another option that's harmful to yourself or others. And I don't know, that just it brought me to tears when she sent me the email on Sunday just saying that this lady had thanked her wholeheartedly for the book and I just I felt very it just to me felt like a beautiful circle it was just amazing so yeah I feel like my my work is done <laughs> with one comment mm-hmm. like that my work is done mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's so beautiful Kim you know you you do what you're guided to do and you don't often see the ripples that are emanated from that pebble you put in by writing that book. And then when you get letters like that, you are so grateful because you have committed to following that intention to go through all the challenges of writing from your heart and you know you're making a difference in the world. And that's a beautiful story and um, you know such a wonderful acknowledgement for you and your your passion and sharing and healing. So thanks for sharing that. It's a lovely story. Uh, so give us some strategies, some of your favorite strategies, because I always like to offer some practical guidance when we're having these conversations. So I know you have lots of wonderful practical steps that you offer people. So what are some of your top you know, three or four that you have found to be so supportive for people on this journey? Yeah, I think it's really important um, that that the art of self-care really gives you something to do while you're going through a challenge or even when you're not going through a challenge, caring for yourself and making sure that you make it a priority, that you acknowledge it's not selfish, it's actually essential for you to be the best version of yourself. So... I had lots of lovely rituals and what I've learned as I've got older and listening to podcasts like yours is that the discipline I now apply is actually different to the discipline I would have applied as a 20 or even 30 year old. I'm way more gentle on myself now in my mid-50s. I listen to my body and my heart a lot more now so if I don't feel like going for a run I will ask myself, and there's a question that I'd encourage everybody to always ask themselves, um, is the word why. And when we, and don't just ask it once, I always ask it seven times. So it might be, 
you know, oh, I just don't feel like going for a run. I just, oh, I feel so bad for not doing that. I'm going to be grumpy. Why are you saying that to yourself? Because I know that I feel so good when I come back from a run. And why is that important to you? Well, because I know it releases endorphins. I feel fit. It's the one sport that I can do. It doesn't matter what age I am. And why is that important to you? Well, because it's a release and I like to actually get out there and be on my own. And why is that important to you? Because it helps clear my head. And why is that important to you? Because it gives me a new focus. And why is that important to you? Because then I tap into my heart. And then the next question I'll ask myself is, and what's something else you could do that would tap into your heart? And so some days it might be, actually, I'm just going to do a meditation or I'm going to walk down to the beach. Um, We're very lucky where we live. Other rituals that I'm always um, curious about, which is why I love essential oils so much, is how am I feeling today and then how would I like to feel? Not, oh, I've got a headache, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. If I'm feeling that, what could I do? How would I like to feel? So then I'll use oils that might lift me or I'll put them in my diffuser. Every morning since I was 19 years of age, I'm now 53, every morning I have body boosted myself. So three drops of my chosen blend or three single oils, three drops in total into a teaspoon of carrier oil like jojoba or sweet almond and some sprays of magnesium. I then massage from toe to head and as I massage myself, and this only takes between 30 and 60 seconds, it's very brisk and quick and very light amount of oil, I am honouring every part of my body. I'm saying thank you beautiful legs and thank you my knees for getting me through and you know when I had surgery on one of my knees I especially loved that one but then I heard a beautiful exercise person say well don't give the one that's injured all the attention or the other one will want to get injured so I always acknowledge the one that's not injured as well and I thank my belly for all the stretch marks and all the little wrinkles that it's got because it housed two incredible babies and there's women out there that would give anything to have my babies or have a baby. And as I massage up over my breasts that no longer sit where they used to sit, um, thanks to feeding, I am so grateful that I was able to produce milk. My body is a machine, a temple, an extraordinary masterpiece that fed and grew two babies And then I come up over my shoulders and my arms and I hug myself and acknowledge that my hands do a lot of writing. And then as I come up into my neck, I then place my hands across my face and inhale that blend. And I'll say something I'm grateful for or I'll set an intention for the day. Um, This morning when I knew I was coming on your podcast, my intention this morning was please allow me to be the conduit, to be a voice and a message that every single person that listens to this podcast will be able to take something away for themselves. And so I feel very strong about that particular discipline, the body boost, which is something that my dream and vision has always been that we all take 30 to 60 seconds of a morning and acknowledge every single part of our body and give thanks to all the great things it does rather than hammering on it for all the things it's not. Um, Another ritual, I I put my diffuser on most days. I love my oils and my diffuser. I have an app on my phone that on the hour, it's a Tibetan um, gong that goes off, which is my reminder to, to do my four S's, stand, stretch, spritz and smile, so that I don't stay seated all the time. I have something green. I use my. I have my green drinks at the beautiful Cindy O'Meara. I love her products. I also love my pre and probiotics. So I'm always, oh, and I say always, most of the time I will take those. Um, but I don't beat up on myself if I'm away or I haven't taken them. 
I love my meditation. I absolutely love that. And sometimes my meditation is simply three things I'm grateful for because as a busy mum when my kids were little, I never had time to sit there and do my practice of transcendental meditation for 20 minutes twice a day. So instead of begrudging that, I would actually think, well, I can do 20 seconds or 10 seconds. And I did a number of those throughout the day rather than thinking I couldn't do it at all. Now, I get that you may not get into that deeper state of relaxation and going into the the beautiful waves um, beyond consciousness, but I still felt that was better than doing nothing. I love having body work, and again, I'm not. It's not always that I have to have this every month, but if I get the opportunity, or I create the opportunity, I will always try and book in. Um, usually to a student massage clinic because I used to teach massage. So I always like to go to a student clinic and pay $30 instead of maybe $80. And also, if they ask for it, give my feedback and constructive um, support of where they're going. Um, I earth. I love being outside. Whenever, every morning I go and pick up the leaves from my frangipani and I stand there and I take three deep breaths and I walk on the grass and pat my beautiful little pussy cat and... Um, just give thanks for where I live. Um, what else? I always prepare. I love cooking, and so I always put an intention into the food, and I will always say a grace either in my head or if our family are together, I get us to hold hands and just say a simple grace before we eat, just giving thanks to Mother Nature and all the amazing things that this planet has provided us with. Rituals around friendship, I will always send at least one text to one person a day saying how amazing they are because I know with the gift of giving that, it comes back to me tenfold. Not that I'm looking for a compliment back, I just mean the joy of making someone's day um, just gives me such joy. The act of service, so my podcast, my mentorship programs, writing books or articles, is a beautiful practice for me. So I don't know, I could give you heaps of rituals, but these to me, depending on which one lights you up, you could could do yourself or or alter it. But yeah, all very beautiful mental, emotional, spiritual rituals that, that feed my heart and soul. And the beautiful thing is that a ritual doesn't have to take time or be complicated. It could just be as simple as you know, putting a, a drop of essential oil on your wrists and your pulse points, or it could be just taking 10 breaths. The point is that we need to put into our life um, an action that allows us to stay in a place of pre- being present. I, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. It's like an action that lets us be present so mm-hmm. we are not getting lost in our thoughts and our moods and our worries and our fears when we can do something intentionally we're actually being present we're in the moment and in that place we can change our thinking we can change our emotions we can be inspired so much can happen in that moment when we're allowing ourselves to be in the present so the the possibilities are endless right of what you can do to just bring yourself back to that moment and um, honor yourself and honor the possibilities that exist in that moment. So I I love all the suggestions that you were sharing. And the point is we have to, you know, 
Well, let me just share this uh, one of my favorite sayings, and and it's this one: If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. That to mm-hmm. me is one of the most powerful statements I have ever heard. <laughs> so if you want to do, if you want your life to be different, you have to do at least one thing different. And I, I, you know, as I'm sharing this, one thought comes to mind when I was giving my workshop there was we talked about that and there was um one of my participants who said i am always eating oatmeal for breakfast i will always eat oatmeal for breakfast i will never change my breakfast (laughs) i said okay but you know you might want to just try doing something different anyway um he came back the next day and he said he had another breakfast he had whatever he had he didn't have his oatmeal he had his eggs but what was fascinating, Kim, is he was in a totally different state. He was open. He was happy. He was loving. Now, I don't know if having a different breakfast was part of that, but I know that that willingness to change was a critical piece of that transformation that I saw in him, that he felt in himself. So strategies are important, right? All right, and and then back to what you agreed with at the beginning, and the discipline to actually undertake that, and the discipline to be open, which probably sounds a bit more of an oxymoron, but you know, giving ourselves the gift of of being open to other possibilities. For every belief or way that you view the world, someone else has a completely different viewpoint, and we're seeing that right now. You know, I could say vaccinate or don't vaccinate. Whatever end of the spectrum you sit on, it's still the same stick. And that's the beautiful thing, is that we're all wanting the same thing, um, a safe, beautiful place for future generations. We've all got the same intent. So therefore, how and which way you choose is going to be up for debate or challenge or whatever. And then, you know, realizing that to have a problem, we also have to not have a problem. And the the reason I say that is that if you think there's a problem around something you want or don't want, then you've got to realize that for you to have created that problem, there also wasn't a problem in the first place. So how do we bring it back to having a reframe around not having the problem? And I, I think that's the beauty of really um, mind scrambling and, and using things like hypnosis and, and really working with the power of the brain to actually unbelieve what it thought was always true just because it was always done that way doesn't mean it couldn't be done another way which is where that beautiful quote um, is so profound because you cannot change or fix or heal a problem with the same mentality and emotions that created it so we have to be in a different space if we want change and I'm sure you've seen it yourself and many of your beautiful listeners that there are some people out there who just do not want to change. Who are they without that story or that drama or that problem? So therefore your job is to love in spite of that, but our job is not to fix or heal another. Our job is to be the best version of ourselves and hopefully through our own actions we then become an example or the stone that drops into the pond like we said just before by living our own truth who knows who's been inspired affected or touched by that and of course we don't do it to do that for others but I think the beauty is when you realize just how much your life matters to other people 
then when you are a full expression of that self-love and self-wisdom and self-respect and all of those beautiful, juicy, magical words, then you'll find you attract just as many amazingly gorgeous people into your world because now you're vibrating at a way higher resonance that really does want to master the art of self-love and self-worth. That's beautiful. And, you know, we're coming to the end of our time together so quickly, Kim. I know people can learn more about you from going to your website, which is KimMorrison.com. What else are you doing and offering people? And where can people get your book, The Art of Self-Love? Oh, thank you so much. I just had such a desire to get people to fall in love with themselves again. So the more I can get mm. this work and this message out there, the the better I feel with my purpose and my um, alignment with what I think I was put on this planet to do. So I really appreciate that. I um, 28.com, so the word 20 and the number 8.com is where all my beautiful oils and chemical-free skincare and books and programs are. And then, as you say, KimMorrison.com will also take you to um, KimMorrisonTraining.com, which is where my mentorship program is. So if you're not sick of me now, you can have me for an hour every Tuesday evening <laughs> for some time. Um, but I really do mentor the special group of souls who are really passionate to learn the art of self-love. And we have beautiful masterclasses, guests. Um, I should ask you right now because then you can't say no because we're on a live podcast <laughs> but we'd love to have you in there um, but I have beautiful guests in what I call the love seat rather than the hot seat and we have challenges and we also do a live Q&A and so that's my real love and I'm super excited because I've just launched two live events which are my essential self-care weekends and I appreciate you've got listeners all around the world but it's just a treat and an honour for me to now present both of those workshops, one in Victoria and one here in Queensland, and I just feel very excited. And if you want to know more about that, that's under events at 28.com. Well, you're doing so much and sharing all your love and wisdom in the world, Kim. It's beautiful to see how you're blossoming. So thank you so much for all that you do, and thank you for spending this hour with us. You've been a wonderful inspiration, and uh, we're so grateful to have you on the show. And uh, since you're in uh, my neighborhood, I hope to see you soon in the flesh as well. (laughs) So I look forward to that. (laughs) For a real love hug. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I want to thank Kim Morrison for being with us, author of The Art of Self-Love. And all of you, thank you for listening once again to The Love Code. And uh, until next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.